You're listening to Face Off, episode 122, recorded May 23rd, 2011. Welcome to Face Off, your face-to-face web technology podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay Robbins. And I am your other host, Mark Sanborn. In this podcast, we talk about various aspects of web technology, such as web development, social media, and web entrepreneurship. As always, you can view the show notes for this episode by going to faceoffshow.com. I love the show notes. Uh, we try to put all our information in there so everyone can find it. I always, I hate it when you you see a podcast and uh, they talk about a bunch of stuff, and then you like go to look at the show notes, and it's like the note is like we talked to so and so, and you're like, but, but what about the notes? But what about the links and the yeah. cool stuff? Yeah. And the other thing I liked that uh, we have been doing from day one was the times. So if you were mentioned in the podcast, you know, if you're a web app that we mentioned, you yeah. can skip right to your section and hear what we have to say about you. Right, sacrificing people listening to more of our episodes because it helps our listeners. We put our times on there. And it's a, plus, it adds like a good 15 minutes to the end of post-production anyways. I mean, it adds time. It's not easy. But uh, you're right. I mean, I think people, what I want people to do is if they say, oh, I want to just read about this or listen to this you know, web app or listen to this geek tool or something, or just the topic. Let's say they don't care about the rest of the junk that I put in the show. They want to see the topic. They can skip to it. I think it's, I think it's a nice thing to do. All right, Mark, let's get into our news and follow-ups. Our our first news item, it's a little old. I've been talking about it for a while, or everyone else has. I don't know, uh, but we haven't. And that's that Microsoft bought Skype. Uh, And so, I mean, we're a a week old on this. Uh, We forgot about it last week, so I want to talk about it this week. Um, They bought Skype for $8.5 billion in cash. Uh, We were just talking about this, like, props to the Skype guys, you were saying, because, like, they've... They've kept on kicking through every major sell. Yeah, so they originally sold it to eBay, I think it was, and then for for a pretty high dollar amount. And then eBay really didn't, I think it was eBay anyways, they didn't know what to do with it. It was kind of a strange acquisition. And as, if I remember right, I could be wrong on this, but if I remember right, the Skype guy still owned some portion of the technology that was used behind Skype. And so eBay kind of just sold it back to him. And then... Uh, it looks like Microsoft has now acquired it for a great sum of money. I mean, this is much. I think this is much larger than what eBay paid. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, it is actually. It's a giant acquisition. I think it's the biggest in Microsoft history or something like that. I mean, it's a ton of money. Um, and what I, you know, what's funny? What I've seen from most people is is negativity. First of all, there's fear that Microsoft is going to ruin Skype. Uh, people like me and you, we use Skype all the time. It's very important to us. Uh, and so I think there is an understandable fear that Microsoft might change it or do something different. Microsoft is very aggressive on, uh, you know, on monetization, uh, especially for things like this. So I think that's a, I think that's a, you know, to me that makes that's like a fear that's this somewhat justified. Um, I think it's a great acquisition for Microsoft. I think Microsoft has a big brand problem with a lot of their stuff people don't identify as liking with. Windows 7, I think, was a giant leap forward. I think people really like Microsoft a lot more because Windows 7 is a great product. I'll even I'll say it. I love Windows 7. Um, and then I think associating, you know, purchasing themselves with more brands that people really like. I mean, Skype has tons of advocates. Everyone that uses it loves it. Uh, and so, you know, if Microsoft cannot, you know, can do good and not screw it up, then they will have, you know, a company that people will like and will further, you know, increase this cloud of like, oh, Microsoft is a friendly brand that has good products. 
Yeah, I don't think Microsoft, I don't think we have to worry about Microsoft, you know, abusing their user base and just kind of, you know, taking the product and making, you know, let's say a non-free version or something. Because I, I, I don't think they're going to buy something for that much money and then just say, you know, screw you guys. Uh, we're going to, you know, abandon the Linux version and the Mac version and this and that. Oh, the, no. the stuff that people like about Skype. Uh, just because I think people, you know, if, if you do piss off people enough, they're going to start, you know, making a, a competing product. Yeah, and apparently, I didn't notice this, but uh, Skype recently had acquired Quick, which was sort of... Uh, the pioneer of live streaming video from your phone. I remember uh, right when sort of Ustream and and uh, Justin TV and those were getting going with streaming streaming on your computer, live streaming. Uh, Quick was the first one where you know on your iPhone you could stream live from your phone and stuff. So um, I think it's a good product offering. Did they overpay? I have to say I think they did. I'm not sure. I would value Skype, especially at a company that has trouble getting revenue. Skype has had trouble staying above water. Uh, you know, keeping their head above water. So I think I think they overpaid for it. Uh, I don't know if there was like other talks that other companies might buy it or something, and they had to get aggressive or what. But that is a very large sum of money. It is. Um, I think though that tech, that Skype does have a great uh, technology backend. We talked about it, I think, before on the show about how amazing the voice cancel cancellation is. Uh, we when we do interviews, their audio is piped right back to them, but it doesn't echo. Right. And that's due to the software of Skype, not any of the hardware uh, that we're using. Right. In fact, our hardware impedes it. It just takes whatever it gets and sends <laughs> it right back out to everybody. So it creates a you know an echo or like when you you know we listen to music over it sometimes like it'll cancel out my music even though i'm trying to like pipe it directly to you so we can listen to the same song it'll cancel it out eventually because it's like oh this is background noise that i need to get rid of yeah uh the other thing too is you know microsoft does have an xbox uh route that they can go with this it's, you know adding voice communication with xbox um you know they, they can it's one of the things that i see a lot of these big companies do they'll buy something and you think to yourself, well, this is this worth it or not just based off the merits of Skype alone, but they can also use this technology in all the other products that they have that yeah, already you know, use voice communication. Yeah, people dog on the Zune, and the Zune device is, is failing. I understand that. I'm a Zune fan. The Zune service, I think, is great, but what the thing is, there is you know a product that Microsoft has done that is gangbusters popular, and that is Xbox. I love Xbox. I know a lot of people that love Xbox. And to think the Xbox, I mean, we remember when the original Xbox came out, everybody laughed. They're like, why are you going to buy this crappy box from Microsoft when you have Nintendo and Sony putting out awesome consoles, you know, and it's like the Xbox is rocking flat out. Yep. All so right. I don't know. We'll, I guess it's time will tell. Yeah, time will tell. I, I'm excited to see it go though, or to see it see it happen. Another thing I just want to talk about. We, uh, you know, we always talk about split testing and, and talk about how big companies doing it. Uh, so one thing we always joke about because we do our show notes in Google Docs. Google split tests the heck out of Google Docs. It's ridiculous. I mean, I've had things change when I refresh the page. <laughs> like, you know, it's funny, like one point you look at a doc and you'll get used to this feature, and then two weeks later it's gone, and then a week later it's back, and it's like, I mean, they're like split testing the crud out of it. Uh, but here's an interesting topic of dis of discussion that I've heard some people, I read an article recently, and I can't remember to the link, otherwise I'd link it in the show notes, but it basically said, you know, Google split test things to death, and, and oftentimes 
Google's products, I think you can you see that sometimes they they seem so not intuitive, and I feel like that that's because a lot of really good products have this really strict vision. Like this is this awesome thing we want to make, and then the split testing comes in on the finer details. Like is this intuitive or not? This little thing, and Google basically split tests from the beginning. And I think sometimes that split testing, the, the sort of pure data drivenness of it, can lead you down sort of quirky user interface and user experience. Yeah, I agree with you. I think you need to have some sort of vision of how your app uh, or your user interface is going to function. And then, you know, A-B split test the fine details. Uh, I think I, I remember reading an article from, I think it was either Joel Spolsky or um, the other guy, uh, which his name escapes <laughs> me. Um, but he wrote a, a funny article Atwood, about... Jeff Atwood. Atwood, Jeff. Yeah, there you go. Uh, he, t he compared A-B split testing with uh, the movie Groundhog Day. Right. Where uh, Bill Murray, you know, wakes up in the morning and he and he goes on and then uh, he finds himself trapped in uh, the same day each day. So he gets to try different techniques as he goes throughout each day to to get different results. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the end, it's it's kind of it's a good article. Um, we'll link to that one in the show notes. But uh, yeah, I think if you just if you don't have some sort of vision in mind and you don't do the small details and you just split test everything, you'll you'll probably end up with. Uh, a clunky mess. <laughs> Split test your life, right? Are you, um, is that, is I mean, that, is that what you're yeah. saying? Is that what we should do? I should wake up every day and try as hard <laughs> as I can to have the exact same day, but change small details to see what happens. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyways, uh, you know, split testing is really good. You know, one of the things you learn though is. Um, it does require data. So the thing is, you you know, it's really easy to say, like, we've been playing around with Agile Task uh, Ninja Button. Uh, it's easy to say, like, oh, this one's better than that one just because it has more. But remember, in statistics, there is a reason that they have, you know, a statistic significance. You, there is a significance test. A pure difference doesn't, you know, a pure mathematical difference doesn't mean that it is significant. It could just be part of chance. So make sure you have a real significant, you know, even if, you know, we talked about, you gave us the mathematical equation for it. But just, you know, if one button has 48 and the other has 47, don't say that 47 button is uh, is worthless and get rid of it. You know, make sure you have uh, significant things. And don't just split test randomly. Really plan out your tests and don't don't add too many variables is another thing too. Don't split test four different things at once. Really make it granular, small, split test these two small things and see what happens. Google uh, Web Optimizer recommends if you have less than a 1,000 uh, page views or unique visitors, you need to go for the A-B split test instead of multivariate. Yeah. Because uh, otherwise, you're not going to know what's working and what's not. So totally. it's all about the numbers. Uh, Google definitely has the people to pull it off. Uh, I've heard they've actually uh, tested 31 different shades of blue before they, they figured out the, the right link color. Ridiculous. All right. So uh, before we move on, I want to thank our first sponsor, which is, of course, Agile Task. Dead Simple Task Management with Agile Task. It's lightweight. You can earn achievements, and you can also extend the benefits through our RESTful API. Sign up now and get 30 days free. Uh, and you can be as cool like some of our users, like uh, Scott Lund, our buddy Rob Lund's father, just earned the achievement better luck next time. Uh, which I believe is, you know, something you don't always want. Uh, we've got some new users that are earning some new uh, achievements. So log in, get 30 free days, try it out. It doesn't hurt anything. You got 30 free days. Try it. See if it helps you uh, be more productive. I know it's been helping with me. I've been trying to make a conscious effort to really... Because the problem is it doesn't matter how cool a task system is. If you don't use it, it can't help you. <laughs> right? Right. So right. I've been making a conscious decision to try and use Agile Task because I know Agile Task works for me. If it doesn't work for you, that's fine. 30 days, let it go, expire, and uh, you know, tell your friends about it uh, even if you don't like it. <laughs> 
I would I would add in there too is don't get discouraged, you know, if you find yourself, you know, forgetting to use it for a couple of days and you're like, oh man, I, I feel disorganized. I you know, you know, I I you know, it's maybe it's just part of my personality, but sometimes I I you know get off track and I you know and I don't use it for a few days and I get back on it and and you know I'm like oh this is this is really nice I, I remember I need to do these things right. and exactly get, get back on track exactly it's you know it, it and it's one of those things it doesn't matter which task system you use you're gonna face that once in a while uh, if you use a pen yep. and paper you're gonna stop using it after a while and you have to get back on the saddle so uh, trying to help you stay productive I'm actually that's interesting I'm writing a blog post that's kind of about that it's kind of about like whether or not you should use a tool. Uh, at blog.agiletest.me. I'll have to release that soon. I'm committed now. Committed. I said it. Uh, let's move on to our geek tool. So, Mark, you know that we use a lot of microphones and whatnot on, on FaceOff. We use Skype uh, for FaceOff, but not only FaceOff for other projects. We're always Skyping or video talking, even on Xbox. We're always talking about what we're doing. And one of the important parts about that is a good microphone. We've talked about good headset microphones before that help you talk, but one of the things that we've found with a lot of uh, computers these days, they, they have um, sound cards on them. These integrated motherboards with the integrated sound cards, the sound cards usually just aren't that good. I mean, I haven't had a lot of, of experience like uh, with uh, you know finding good integrated sound cards. Like my current one on my shuttle, uh, if I plug anything, any microphone directly into the, the microphone port on the motherboard, it makes digital noise constantly. It sounds like junk. Uh, so we think that you should eliminate that uh, in general with the StarTech IC USB audio, USB 2.0 audio adapter. Basically, it's a little USB dongle that you can plug in, and it makes a you know a small... Uh, uh, small little USB, little small little sound device. I think like mine says generic USB sound device. You know, usually 2.0 stereo. Uh, but what it does is it allows you know it really reduces the noise. It reduces the variability. Like our friend Robbie. Okay, here's a great example. This is where I brought it up. He bought a, a really nice Razer headset, and he bought it for both using on Xbox because he can, and on his computer. You know, really nice sound, really good microphone. And he hooked it up to his computer and he was Skyping with us and it was staticky. It sounded like junk. And no matter what he fiddled with the sound, uh, the sound devices on, he couldn't get it to sound good. So I suggest, I was like, well, here, use my little USB dongle that came with my Logitech headset and see if that's it. You know, maybe see if it's your sound card. And he plugged it in and it sounds great. Wow. Yeah. So... I mean, these things, it's, you know, this, like the one we linked to is the one he bought. So this is the one he actually bought. So I, it, there's, it's a little more expensive. It's $13 or $16.28. There's some cheaper ones out there. So if you click on our link on our website, there's, you know, like frequently bought together in the bottom and related. You can see the cheaper ones. Uh, I just, I just know for a fact uh, that, cause I'm recommending this one that this, you know, $16 one, our friend Rob has, it works great and it's good. Um, I just don't trust, you know, sound cards. Like, I, I feel like they've, you know, really gotten crappy because uh, it's like it's integrated into the motherboard and they try and shove so much stuff into it. It's like 6.1 sound with an optical out, you know, and I just for the re for my and I guess anecdotally, I've never had good experiences with most of them. I think these are uh, actually really cheap. Back in the day, uh, these you know they had these full featured sound cards that were kind of USB external, mm -hmm. uh, and those were often recommended for people that wanted better sound for their computers. Um, and they were you know hundreds of dollars. So, sixteen bucks to make your sound a lot better is is a deal. Plus, you can unplug it, uh, plug it into a laptop or or some right. something else like that. Like it's also uh, great for troubleshooting. Yeah. If you're at a friend's house or whatever and they're saying, oh, my sound's not working, blah, 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 uh, you can plug it in and test it. 
Yeah, and I mean, you can get sort of like microphones or headsets that have USB direct on them, but I don't like that. I like to have the ability to use either one because uh, some, like I've been using, I've used Macs before, and their audio jack is just fine, and I'd rather not tie up a USB port if I don't have to. Uh, plus, um, also, a lot of times, uh, these USB ones, they tend to less have less noise. I don't know. One nice thing about them is I think they all use basically the same generic sound device that is in every Windows driver, you know, every version of Windows. It's in every version of OS X, every version of Linux. And um, those drivers are, like, um, they're just they're really simple and they're the same. So, like, at one point when I was playing Team Fortress 2 on my computer, uh, apparently the drivers on my onboard sound device made it so that when I talked in-game, it got staticky and actually disrupted everyone else's sound, like, to the point of it was like a glitch <laughs> in the game. You remember this, Mark? We used to play Yeah, and, like, I remember that. I would talk, and it would kind of walk like this, and then everyone else's sound would fluctuate and sound terrible. So um, that's when I you know, was like, well, let me try my USB one. I set that up as my primary sound device, and it worked flawlessly after that. So... Um, it's just one of those things you'll have around. You'll buy one in your lifetime, and it'll last forever and be you know useful when you really need it. So, and it's tiny, takes up no space. Check it out, StarTech.com. I see USB 2.0 sound adapter. All right, let's get into our web apps. Our first, actually, both web apps this week come to us from our friend Phil Downer, who you can hear uh, hear us interview. Uh, how many episodes ago? Two or three? That was episode one. 19. 19. Three episodes ago. So three episodes ago, you can hear Phil. Great interview. We really appreciate having Phil on the show. And he's still, he's always helping us out, even if he's not on the show, giving us some web apps to check out. The first one is called Chop App. We've showed a lot of these sort of cut and paste, uh, share with your friends web apps before. This is just a really nice, simple one where you paste your code in, you tell what language it is, it does uh, line numbers and syntax highlighting. And then the big thing is you can just click on a line and make a comment about it. Do sort of code review, like click on it and say, what, what's going on this? And people can comment after that. They can comment on their own lines. No sign up, nothing, simple two second. And it's a really pretty app. Like I really like the interface. Yeah, it looks yeah, the the comment system's pretty cool. I like that inline kind of comment system. Exactly. So chopapp.com, really simple talked about them a thousand times before, but that one's pretty and I like pretty, don't you, Mark? Yes, I do. <laughs> All right, our next web app is actually really useful when you need it. It's one of those ones where I think you'll probably come back to the Face Off Show website and search for it because you'll need it every time and you'll never remember what it is because you'll you'll you won't need it every day, but when you need it, it'll save you so much time. It's called Cascader. You get to it by going to www.cascader.co. And uh, basically what Cascader does is you enter in HTML with a bunch of inline CSS and it breaks apart the HTML and the CSS into separate things. It parses it all out and gives you a CSS file and an HTML file, uh, which, I mean, think about it. If you have a bunch of inline CSS, pulling that out by hand into a CSS, like a separate CSS file would be murder. That is seriously amazing. Yeah, what a great little app, huh? I mean, it's it's like one small single function, but it is immensely useful when you need it. Uh, I just did it on FaceOff, and it looks like we have very, very little inline CSS, right. which is usually a good sign. <laughs> yeah, I'm for it. <laughs> uh, this is great. Um, I could even see this as kind of a rapid prototyping uh, feature. You know, like if you're just... I don't know if you're making a single page or a couple right. pages and you're just, you know, you know, sometimes we get lazy. We don't want to, you know, right. open another file. We're and stuff. lazy. I'll just, admit it. Even though we know it's bad, you know, start doing inlining <laughs> and doing some crazy stuff and then throw it into this app and then do it pro properly when you're all done. Yep. It'll parse it all out for you. So check it out. Cascader.co. Super helpful app. Thanks, Phil, for your help. We appreciate you sending those in. 
Hey, if you guys have some news, a web app or follow up or even a topic or a person you want us to interview, go to faceoffshow.com slash feedback. We want to hear from you and we want to help give you awesome content that you guys suggest, like such as Phil's awesome web apps. What a I like that Cascader is such a time saver. You know, I mean, like, seriously, it's one of those you're not going to need every day. But when you do need it, it is going to be your best friend in the whole world. I'm going to search for it. I'm going to be like, did we talk about some app that, (laughs) you know, did this? You know. And it's going to be a lifesaver. So faceoffshow.com slash feedback. Let us hear about it. All right. Let's thank our second sponsor, Mark Sanborn's own Rocket Ship It. Yeah, so Rocket Ship It is uh, an all-in-one multi-carrier, so that means UPS, FedEx, and post office, and you know maybe someday DHL. It allows you to do rates. You know, if you have an e-commerce site and you want to get accurate rates uh, by weight, uh, by number of packages uh, to any zip code, if you want to add signature verification, any of those good features. Also, it does tracking, address validation. Nothing worse than sending a you know a twelve dollar, twenty dollar package to the wrong address and finding out that <laughs> uh, it could be you know sometimes uh, it's even helpful for looking up whether or not an address is considered commercial or residential because that's oh, uh, I didn't know you could do that. It's a significant uh, price difference. So really, if you're trying to yeah, it is no it's, way. Uh, yeah, so it's uh you know for businesses that want to save some money and that that can save the price of the product right there. Uh, if you're shipping a lot of packages, also it does label generation. Um, basically, anything that UPS, FedEx, and them them uh, offer can be done programmatically and with ease with Rocket Ship It. Anything them other ones do, you can do it better. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, check it out, Rocket Ship It. It's awesome, and I want to thank them for helping the show. Uh, so, Mark, let's get listen. So, let's we're gonna level with our listeners. You went to Las Vegas this weekend. Uh, which I think means you burn out. You were hard charging partying man all weekend, right? Yeah, I, I did, you know, probably 10 miles of walking and, <laughs> you know, a little bit of gambling, a little drinking, little. We watched uh, Carrot Top, which was, he was amazing. If you ever go to Vegas or I don't, I don't think he's on TV, but if you ever go to Vegas, go check him out. I know you're, what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, you know, oh, that skinny little guy from the AT&T commercials. Um, <laughs> he's actually really funny. Uh, I was shocked so so check them out anyways uh just to be easy on mark our topic this week and it's a yeah it's actually a good one i think we have a lot of good stuff to talk about is we're going to visit our old friend the web do's and don'ts uh you can get to it by going to web do's and don'ts.com we're going to talk about the top rated web do's and don'ts because i think there's a lot of good lessons to learn i love this website because it tells you you know pretty bluntly things you shouldn't do things you you know that are good things to do and it always gives you a nice little reference source like a blog post or something that tells you about it so uh, as we talk about these, go to the show notes and you can get the link for each one of these top rated do's and don'ts. Uh, and in there is a link to a blog post that further explains it in case we screw it up or we don't explain it well enough. So you go to the show notes, get the link um, and you can hear more of it because that's pretty, that's, you know, uh, a lot of these, it's, you know, like you and I were looking at them and they make sense. Some of them don't though. And until you go in and then read that blog post, you're like, ah, that makes a lot more sense now. Yep. So let's get to our first one, which is don't use splash pages. You know, this is, I agree with this 100% because it basically says don't waste your visitors' time with some goofy animation or just a picture or something. And people are on the web for information. And as much as you think that splash page makes you look good and makes you, you know, shows how awesome you are, really you're just wasting people's time and you're showing complete disregard for their, for their time. Personally, if it's something I can live without, I will hit the back button immediately when a uh, full page splash page comes <laughs> up, especially if it's an advertisement. 
if it's content that I absolutely have to see, I will, you know, have to do it. I will click through it. But for the most part, I'm out of there. Um, You're not so happy you, about it, though, when you have to. You're like, oh, yeah. man. It's like ads. You know, these new ads where it's like it plays an ad and then continues. Same thing. You know, you're you're not only ruining my experience because I expect to click on this link and get to the content for the link I clicked I clicked on. You're wasting my time. Uh, yep. And all sometimes they're done with JavaScript, but sometimes they're done with redirects, which wastes bandwidth and time as well. Uh, you know, learn from the people. You know, like shopping carts and conversion rates. They they have one page shopping carts now for a reason. It's because you know if people have to go to another page, uh, they're they get on you know they're it's waste time and makes people unhappy. So, I think we can all agree that splash pages are terrible, um, except uh, maybe the newspaper sites. They don't quite agree with it. <laughs> all right. So the next uh, top rated new don't is do specify your HTML documents language. Uh, I think this is good sense just because, uh, you know, a lot of times if, if services can get more information, the better chance they have of, of handling it. So uh, if it knows, if, you know, like Google knows that your document is written in English or German, like Google's awesome new translation stuff, like in Chrome, it, it has an easier job of knowing what it needs to translate from. It can do it quicker. Yep. Um, sometimes if you specify the wrong doc type, it, you know, the page looks funny. So the more... The more information you can give, the better. Right. So make sure you put the language in there too, because it's you know, I guess call me uh, you know, pig-headed English speaker. I assume everything is in English, and the truth is there isn't. And we get a lot of people that visit Agile Tasks, that visit our blogs, visit our podcasts, who are not you know native English language speakers. So try and help them out as much as possible. Uh, the next uh, top-rated do and don't we're talk about is called do write effective loops. And so you and I we looked at this one, and it's really pretty interesting. Yeah, so you know, I'm not. I have to say, my JavaScript skills are kind of rusty. I use it when I uh, need it, but I don't. You know, I, I don't write full page uh, or full web apps in JavaScript. You weren't yet. first in line to see Doug Crockford talk, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, um, but I do know that when I go to some sites with you know tons of JavaScript, it you know it, it slows down, and, and depending on the device, if it's uh, you know like a phone or, or certain things like that, it, it can run really slow. Some of the slowness is due to uh, loops, you know, looping through stuff in a program usually is where, you know, you can save or you can, uh, have performance problems. Mm -hmm. And so this, this article showed three different ways to do a loop and they showed a speed test and the third root loop had, um, I mean, significant, we're talking, right. Are is those, are those seconds or are they I'm just assuming milliseconds? Milliseconds? Yeah. So the first loop is your standard sort of, you know, uh, for loop. It's like var i equals zero, semicolon, i items.length. You know, i is less than items.length, and then i plus plus, right? So you loop standard loop. These, I mean, it's yeah. standard syntax. Everybody does it. So the, the next sort of improvement is you do var i equals zero, and then the next one you say divs, you know, i. So what you're saying here is every time it does a lookup on that array to see if that object exists. If it doesn't exist, then it knows it's done and breaks out of the loop. That's good. It's better than items.length. It's cleaner. A lot of people like the cleaner syntax, but that's still not the best sort of loop. The third mm -hmm. loop is where uh, basically the very first statement, you declare two variables. You declare var i equals zero, and you declare another uh, another variable equals the length of the things that you're looping through. So you set that variable once, and then you say, you know, i less than the other variable, and then i plus plus. What that stops is basically an array lookup or an array length lookup every time it goes through the loop, like the first two loops. 
Uh, the, the second loop has to do an array lookup every time. The first loop has to do a length on that array object every time. And then the third one, it sets that variable once and then just checks against that variable. That variable set to three. It doesn't have to do a checkup every time. It just goes through the loop and says, uh, is this is I less than three? Oh, it is. Okay, keep going. You know, and it, and it doesn't have to do any sort of calculations on that array object or anything every time. Yep. And if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, why look up the item length? It's not going to really change. So why look it up every single time we go through? Uh, so set that up in the beginning. And some of the numbers show, you know, from a thousand milliseconds down to zero or one um, loop, you know, for, right. you know, in Firefox is a little bit more optimized. It's got 45 milliseconds, but with the optimized loop, you get it down to one millisecond. That's a, a huge improvement. I like also that he has provided the code so you can actually run it yourself and do your own. I mean, it's right. proof that these loops can make a difference. Yeah. So if you're writing uh, JavaScript, make sure you are keeping performance in, in mind. You don't want your page too clunky. And so absolutely learn the, learn the good loops. Our next do is to do always do proofread. So um, this is one of those ones I'm going to defer you to the article. Check out the article. It has a bunch of good tips for proofreading. It's got a bunch of proofreading do's and don'ts. Uh, but basically, just do proofread your your copy. Proofread what you write on your website. And and I think the best tip that the article gives is have someone else proofread it. I run into this a lot when I write. Is everything sounds perfect to me in my head. Uh, whether or not I wrote it down right, oftentimes my head corrects mistakes as I'm rereading it. So get someone else to read it because they're not going to, you know, it's not already defined in their head perfectly. They'll find the, the really simple glaring mistakes for you uh, and help make your copy sound a lot better. The other thing I'll add to this as well is, you know, oftentimes us as programmers are looking in a text editor and we're, we're focusing on code and we're not really looking at the content itself. Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes we just we just write the content in the text editor and publish it to the site without ever checking it again. Uh, or maybe we'll, you know, scan it once. But uh, I think for some reason, websites don't have as much. Uh, emphasis on proofreading as like, say, a paper or a book. So uh, it's something to do. Just keep a, an eye on. Right. You know, we have a lower barrier to entry for people to publish content, but that lower barrier to entry means that there's things like you don't have editors and copywriters that make it, you know, check it before it goes out. So uh, make sure you proofread your content. All right. The next do is do use the right doc type. And Mark, you already touched on this a little bit. Make sure you decide on what doc type you're going to use in your app or your documents, your HTML documents before you write it and stick to that doc type because a lot of times particular doc types have have consequences in your browser, specifically Internet Explorer. Internet Explorer has compatibility mode. Browsers have what they call quirks mode, which is where they try and fix or take care of problems that you have in the HTML. And so if you have the right doc type and validate that, you know that won't happen to it. You have a much more expected result because the default doc type, if you don't specify it, changes from browser to browser. Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to pick strict HTML strict, don't, you know, start doing loose stuff, you know, follow <laughs> the actual strict uh, guidelines. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's about in, it. You'll run into less goofy errors like, why does this have like one little bit off in Internet Explorer 7, but Internet Explorer 8 is okay, and it's very frustrating. So uh, the next thing we, uh, the next do is do keep your content in a logical order in the source. And this I had to look at the article for. Uh, it's really helpful because the basically the crux of it comes down to uh, accessibility. Uh, accessibility readers they have some sort of things that they you know they define like they expect the navigation first. 
Uh, and so the beauty with CSS is that, you know, your document is separated from your style. So you can take CSS and position your nav anywhere, anywhere in the document. It's really easy to do. Uh, and, but if you like, say, put your nav at the end of a, at the end of the document and your screen and someone who is using a screen reader who can't, you know, is blind, can't see it. Like if their screen reader is expecting navigation, they have a harder, harder time figuring it out. So if people put, you know, if they have a, a regular layout and this article goes through like some of the the expectations that most uh, screen readers have and whatnot. And it's a really good article to read to sort of figure out um, what you think a good order of things in your document should be. All right. So the next one is don't put block elements inside inline elements. So, you know, we all know kind of block elements are things that, you know, act kind of like blocks. Uh, so images, divs that, you know, show sections of the site, you know, you have left side nav or, or whatever. Also inline elements are things like paragraphs, things that f kind of flow and Span. wrap spans. Um, so what you don't want to do is put a block element inside inline elements. So you, you don't want to put a div inside like a link or a span. Right. Um, or like, yeah, like you don't want to have a paragraph and then inside that paragraph you have a div. Right. If you do think you need some like a, a block type element, you can have a div and then have a a span that acts like a block. So you can well, set the span. Well, no, you can. I mean, what you can do is you can you can take a div. So here, it's kind of weird. So basically, the spec says uh, the you're saying like, well, why can't we do this, right? So first of all, you're not supposed to. It <laughs> just that's the way it is. You're just not supposed to, right? Um, and then the other thing is what you can do is, you know, it looks at, it's by default, right? So a div really is a block by default. It can be an inline element. You can set it that way with CSS, but you have to look at it what it is by default before you apply styling. So you can take like a div and put it inside something, you know, you can take a div and then put it, put it inside a div and then take that, you know, like an outer div and set it to style inline or, or display inline. I think it's display, display inline. Uh, and then that's okay. I don't know why, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, it seems logical though to me that you do, you can't have a div inside of a, a link. Um, right. You can't. It makes sense that you you know like a block level element it sort of conceptually is this this thing that sort of starts on its own new line because it's a block inline to me like things like are things that are inline you know so it makes sense not to have something inline and then have this sort of big fat block in it. It means like you shouldn't be able to do that. Now, uh, another thing that might compel you, uh, rather than just saying you're not supposed to, is apparently like there's some differences with browsers where they they try to fix that for you because you're not supposed to. So like Firefox 2, the difference between Firefox 2 and Firefox 3 apparently, according to the article, you know, at particular times, they try to fix it for you and then it handles differently in different ways and can cause little bugs and quirks. Yeah, you want to limit the inconsistencies across browsers um, for your own sanity. So uh, just kind of follow <laughs> the rules and don't bend them. The next one we've got is uh, use the CSS cascade. So CSS, of course, stands for cascading style sheets. And what that means is you can actually build upon previously defined styles. Um, right. And I think you had a great example of that. Yeah, so like... Um, a lot of times what you see with people when they get started or just because they, they don't really fully understand it or just doing it wrong just because is they'll define like an ID for everything and then style everything by that ID. So like let's say you have a footer with ID footer, you know, a div ID footer. And inside that, that footer you have a UL that you ID like list of nav or something like that. Now – uh, what a lot of people will do is they'll say, you know, in their CSS, will be like, you know, uh, pound footer and then style that and then pound 
footer nav style that, but you don't have to because you can use styling. So you can say, you know, you can say footer and then style, and then you can say footer space, you know, UL, and then it's any, you know, the first UL inside of that footer. And that's a proper use of the cascade. You don't have to define an ID and style everything by that definition. That way, if you do ever change ID, like let's say you call it like nav footer or something like that, it still will work because you cascade it properly. It's not that it's an item inside this thing. It's the first UL inside of a defined item. And usually we are fairly uh, specific with our div. So like if you have a footer, usually you're not going to have like 10 different ULs inside that footer. Right. So you usually don't have to get that specific. And also, if I remember right, part of the performance thing is the more specific you get, the um, uh, the least or the less uh, optimized it is for the browser to read. Interesting. I mean, I could see that. And, and, and I mean, the thing is, it's just use the power of CSS because like a lot of times, especially with the new CSS things that are coming out, like you can use first child and first parent. Uh, and it makes sense to look at your things abstractly, not as just here's a UL with an ID, but this is the first UL in this item. And this is the first child in that element, really learning what those terms mean rather than just, you know, like a lot of times when you first start and I did this, I was, you know, guilty party. Number one is you just want it to work, right? You just want it to work. And the mm -hmm. easiest way to make it work is just define an ID on everything and hit that, you know, like the, the different selectors and stuff are kind of confusing, but uh, IDs aren't right. You just you give every item uh, its own ID or a class, and you style those, and that's sort of the easiest way to go about it. But use that cascade and really look at your document as a document, and you know this is a child of this. This is a UL inside the footer, not just footer nav. Um, also, if you you know optimize this and you cascade properly, you'll have uh, a lot less CSS. Your CSS style sheet will be smaller yeah. than somebody that does not do cascading. Totally. So try to do that. Uh, the next one is learn the box model. Um, so the box model is basically, um, you know, know what padding is versus margin. Uh, I remember when I first started with CSS, I was kind of confused about that. I was, you know, I knew that if I put one or the other, sometimes my image would move to the left mm -hmm. or to the right. Um, but I didn't realize that if you do a padding on an image that's also a link, you know, then, then that padding actually becomes part of the image. Uh, if you, you can, like, you can click on that part of the right. image and stuff. Um, and it's best, you know, and in, in that case, you might want to use a margin. Um, you're asking, you know, someone might be out there being like, well, I mean, what's the difference, right? You get, you get, uh, you know, you get basically what you want to look like, but you, you don't, a lot of times you'll have bugs. You have to know, uh, not only what those are, but how that's calculated. So the actual size of a, of the width of a box is calculated with as the width plus the padding left, plus the padding right, plus the border left, plus the border right. That is the width. There is no margin in the width. So if you set a margin to something that isn't considered really part of the width. So like an example, given this a uh, really good one, I think, uh, is looking at the default width of block level boxes. So they have like a parent that has 300 pixels wide and they have a box inside with a 20 pixels of padding but no set width and it fits the box perfectly. And then below they have a box with 20, 20 pixels of padding, same as above, but the width is set to 100% and it's actually overflowing, I think, 40 pixels because of the, the 20 pixels of padding on both sides when you have a set width. So understanding that box model and how it works will really save you time, especially when you're trying to get things lined up and trying to get them exactly the way you want. Uh, and then also you'll you'll avoid errors like when all of a sudden your box spills over by 10 pixels or something over something. You don't know why. 
Uh, a great little tip here is if you use the star um, as your selector in CSS and then set the border one pixel solid red and make sure you have the important set on that, you can actually, it'll show you all the different boxes that you have on your site. Um, I think you can do this also with um, Firebug and some yep. of those type of tools, but it's yeah. a good little tip. Like the web developer toolbar has a way to highlight all box level elements and it basically does that. It puts a one pixel border around them all. So the last thing, and this is, you know, this is something I need to work on a lot, and I think it's a great article for people to read just by looking at it. Smashing Magazine article, uh, the next do you want to do is do improve your web typography. And I think typography is really important, Mark. We, you really opened my eyes to this once, uh, one time where you're talking about, um, like, the first sort of tip is looking at the, the measure, the width of your text. You don't mm -hmm. want it too long. If it's too long, your eyes are moving back and forth so much, it's really hard to read. But you also don't want it too short because then it's kind of schizophrenic. You're just kind of like, da 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 There's, you know, a, a just right where it's short enough that your eyes get kind of a good rhythm going back and forth, but they're not really stretching all across the screen. And it makes a huge difference in readability. Absolutely. I mean, if you want, if you're, if you're one of those that are looking to uh, up your conversion rate or keep people on your site uh, and keep people looking at your blog articles, um, you know, make sure you get this right. Uh, the best way to get somebody to click and leave your site is to have long, long blocks of text that go all the way from the left to the right yep. uh, without highlighting and uh, paragraph breaks and things like right. that. Uh, the on person a, that on really a wide opened screen, up, on a widescreen monitor, you know. Yeah, and the other thing, there's there's more to it too. There's letting. Um, I used to call it leading because I didn't know any better, but I was actually told it was, it was called letting, and it goes back to the day of the the paper presses and things. But that's basically the the spacing um, between the lines of text, mm -hmm. and you know you can kind of get reader fatigue if you start from the left and go to the right, and then you you kind of get confused. You know, if there's lots of text, you can kind of get confused at which line you are on. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a perfect amount of space, uh, you'll see that. If you have too much, you can it's um, it's like too, too much white space and you yeah. kind of have to jump too much. Right, exactly. Um, we, I think we talked about this in one of our really early episodes, like uh, within the top 20, I believe, in Face Off, uh, was about an article, I think Sun did it, where they were talking about uh, readers on the web scan things. And if your text is big, blocky, and you have very little um, letting, uh, you're, you're going to, people are not going to read that content. Right. Um, so. Catch people's attention with good text that's easy to read. Don't uh, fatigue the reader because attention spans are, are um, you know, very short for uh, internet users. So keep it, um, you know, keep the line spacing. Read this article. It's a great article. Just, you know, just read through this article and uh, yeah. check out. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, you you may, you really hit on the key. There is attention spans are low. So. If you're even it doesn't matter if you have really good content, if it's hard to read, less people are going to read it. So really, you might as well try and eliminate that variable as much as possible by getting good typography. And then that way you can just focus on good content. Absolutely. All right. Well, Mark, I think that wraps it up for this episode of Face Off. Uh, I want to remind you guys that if you haven't done so yet, you can go to faceoffshow.com slash subscribe to subscribe to our wonderful podcast and get it when it comes fresh every week. You can also leave feedback for the show by going to faceoffshow.com slash feedback. Tweet us out. Like us on Facebook. Uh, send us an email. Love to hear from you guys. Uh, we really appreciate all of our listener contributions. Thank you for listening, and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>